the best way I can think to describe it is the brokenness in me met up with that high standard life that I knew in my home. And I felt this strong feeling that I will never be good enough. As I hit into my preteen, teen years, the way that I decided to solve this struggle was acceptance and approval of other people. I'd open my Bible sometimes and I would just close it and feel frustrated. Like, I'm not sure I understood that. I want to understand that. I want to connect. I want it to mean something to me. but. I had no map forward. Cannot remember the date, but I remember exactly where I was sitting. I remember exactly where we were singing. Like, it's just this moment. It was physiological, like I felt it physically, but it was all of me. Like, emotionally, my, my mind, it was like honey was just dripping from the top of my head to the bottom. And I felt like that torment that I was always in, it was like calm. I grew up uh, in a Christian home. And uh, the, my parents, neither of my parents had the uh, Christian example. I think there was some church in their life, but I don't really think they had the example much uh, growing up. So um, they took the Lord very seriously. They took loving God and knowing God seriously. And they really wanted to kind of like first generation, get it right and raise their kids uh, with the Bible and with the Lord and going to church. And uh, my dad was a choir conductor. So he, we would, the church we would go to depended on his vocation, like who would hire him. <laughs> so we, we spent our life in a couple of different uh, kinds of churches, most of them, all of them being like mainline denomination, like choirs and organs and robes and, you know, pews and, you know, old school. And I definitely got the gospel like I was taught the gospel from an early age, as far back as I can remember. I was always told, invite Jesus into your heart. He's the only way to heaven. He's God's son. And, and like the full message of the gospel, I understood far back as I can remember understanding, I understood the gospel message. And I was like, okay, well, like so many times I was like, Jesus, if you're not already there, like I've invited him so many times, if you're not already in my, like, please be in my life. I want you to be my Lord and Savior. As best as I understood as a little kid how to do that and what that meant. Like I prayed that many times. And so I can't even pinpoint a date like some people can. I, as far back as I can remember, Jesus was the way to heaven and the life I chose, like the what, who I wanted. And I, I wanted more of God, whatever that meant, but I really wasn't sure how. The traditional churches that I was in, there was, um, there was a lot of tradition. You know, there was a, there was a high value of tradition. And sometimes for me as a little kid, at least, that kind of got in the way of me learning and understanding, like how to have a relationship with God. Not that no one there had one because they all were very sincere in their relationship with him, but it was hard for me. Like I go to Sunday school, I get the stories, Oh's Ark and all that, but it didn't really translate into how I could bring that home with me and make it mine and make it personal. So that's kind of where I was with all of that with God and church and you know salvation. Now my home life was actually really good. Like my parents are very, they're, they're very methodical. They're very practical. They're very calm. They calculate things out. Some may call them perfectionists. I think they would call themselves perfectionists. Uh, so the standards were really high. 
And I know that that was their way of raising us well and loving us. And it was done in love. Like, it created a lot of stability. My parents loved each other. They stayed together. They, and, you know, like, they, were, they weren't volatile people. They didn't, like, just go fly off the handle. And they weren't, like, you know, they didn't discipline us. And in, in, I was never traumatized. I was never abused. I was never—it was stable. And it was nice. I, You know, it was, it was a— decent childhood, and I'm so grateful for it. But I think that the best way I can think to describe it is the brokenness in me met up with that high standard life that I knew in my home, and I felt this strong feeling that I will never be good enough. Like, I cannot measure up to this. I can't. I'm not, I'm not good enough. Very low self-esteem, just struggled far back as I can remember, as far back as I, you know, my whole life. And that just continued to grow as I matured. That grew more and more. And so, and I know that was just my parents' way of trying to raise us in a stable environment and to challenge us to do our best. And, you know, they, I, you know, God bless them. They, they really meant well, but, you know, everybody's broken and I definitely was. And so I just received that in as like, this is who I am. Like, I'm not good enough. And I didn't really see that, like, that as a problem. Like, I look back now and I know the name of what I was struggling with was condemnation. I was being condemned. And Satan, our enemy, is such a liar <laughs> because he will take advantage of any way he can to just twist the knife and drill it in. So if we're thinking in a way that isn't biblical, he'll exasperate it any chance he can get. And I, an example of that would be growing up, I was eight years old, and we moved from Ohio to Maryland. And just my personal eight-year-old experience— <laughs> The people in Ohio were like super kind and really accepting and kind of simple. And then the people in Maryland were like super judgy and real trendy. And it was like socially, it was like a kindergartner getting thrown into third grade and mm. make friends, go make friends. And I didn't like, I figured it out and got over it over the years, but like I struggled. I had a really hard time and the enemy just would see like, see, nobody wants to be your friend. Like, you don't measure up. And I could go on with other examples, but there's so many where all growing up, it was just like underscored. Like, you're not going to be good enough. You aren't good enough. You can't, you know, you're not going to be good enough. So um, as I hit into my preteen, teen years, the way that I decided to solve this struggle was acceptance and approval of other people. If If I could get love and acceptance and approval, it's like... It's like I was being tormented, but if I got acceptance and approval from somebody else, I felt I, I felt free for a second. Like it just made me feel better, but it's like a bucket with too many holes. You can never fill it. Like I just had to keep getting it. I had to keep getting it. And so my social life, as I grew into my teens, like my social life became my primary thing because it was always, you know, I wanted acceptance from leaders and from teachers and from, I wanted to get good grades. A major overachiever, definitely a perfectionist myself at the time. And it was all I, I knew. It was all I knew to do. Um, and and Debbie, did you at any point get an opportunity to talk to anybody about this, or were you no. even able to communicate this? No, I wasn't able to communicate it. it for, for all I understood, that's just who I was. Like there was nothing broken about it at the time. Looking back now, I understand it was a stronghold. 
<laughs> and I, I know now what the Bible says about strongholds is it's a, it's a house of thoughts. It's a way of thinking and behaving that isn't like God thinks or what Scripture tells us to do. Mm. So I had this stronghold, and I didn't know what that was. <laughs> and it, uh, it was his name was condemnation, and I didn't know that either. So I wanted, like, I felt like the divide between me and God was getting, like, the chasm was getting deeper. And I was frustrated about that. Like, I want to be closer to God, but I didn't really feel like there was anybody there to help me. Like, yeah, I went to church, but church was there, and then my real life was here, and they were separate, and the chasm was getting deeper. And I wasn't like bad or like I didn't even really party. I kind of sort of tried, and I was bad at it. Like <laughs> I didn't, I just, I was too busy trying to be an overachiever, you know, to really go that route. But, um, like I wanted me and God, it was like, you know, we're missing each other. And I'd open my Bible sometimes and I would just close it and feel frustrated. Like, I'm not sure I understood that. I want to understand that. I want to connect. I want it to mean something to me. All along growing up, I would occasionally see from a distance, like people in the church, I could really tell that they love God and it was so meaningful to them. And I just was starving for that, but I had no map forward. I didn't know how to make that happen for myself and got very involved in youth groups. Here I am, my like teenager and stuff. I got really involved in youth groups, but I was very socially committed to my youth group. Like I would tolerate the the God teaching and stuff because I just really wanted my friends. I really wanted the the before and after, you know, the hanging out and because I I wanted I wanted to feel like I was good enough. Like it was, I was just starving for that. And any way I could get, I didn't get it in a in a in a Bible study. I got it, you know, before and after when people, you know, relationships and connection with people. While I wanted to know God, a lot of times those Bible studies were kind of dry and like ho hum. And I've heard this before. It's, that's how I felt. Grow up in the church, you feel like I've heard this before. I know this already. Tell me something I don't know, and you you kind of start to function in this lie that you already have all there is, and and Christianity isn't even all that great. Mm. Like may not be for me, or it's just not fun, or it's just not, and the way, and I've described this to my kids before, but it's kind of like reading a book with 10 chapters, and you just keep rereading chapter one, thinking you're reading the whole book. It's like, there's more. Like, you got to take a leap forward into something more. But I didn't know any of that. You know, back then, I was just kind of going through life. Like, I didn't know, I wouldn't have been able to define any of that. And no, I didn't have anybody to talk to, but I wasn't hungry for anybody to talk to about it, because I wouldn't have been able to articulate that. So youth group, big priority in my life. And uh, we got a new youth leader. We had a few over the years, they'd come and go. And we got a new one. At this point, I'm 16, almost 17. And this youth pastor comes in and his name was Greg Zitz. He's still my pastor today, 35 years later, which I'm so grateful to be able to say. But he comes into our youth group, and I had never heard anybody talk about the Lord like him before. Uh, so much passion and so much uh, just something really different, such zeal. And at first, I did not take to it because I was like, all right, calm down. <laughs> Just take us to the beach. That's what I want. You know, like you're my social group coordinator, buddy. <laughs> like it's kind of my attitude, because uh, that's what I wanted. Um, but 
you know, we had all we would have all these events, and I'd go to them all, Bible studies and hangouts and prayer meetings, and you know, it was always so deep and so about Jesus. Like I'd never met anybody that was so on fire for Jesus, and I know now. You know, what I didn't know then was that I was encountering close up for the first time in my life somebody who was filled with the Spirit of God. And it's not that you don't have the Spirit when you're saved. We all do. But if you picture like a glass with rocks, uh, the rocks is the ungodly stuff in our lives. We all have rocks. Like everybody has them. Only Jesus didn't. You know, we all have them. And it, and it's because the rocks are there, you can only fill the glass with so much water, so much God, so much Holy Spirit. And the more the Lord pulls the rocks out, the more Spirit the more the Spirit can fill. And this is the first time I'd met somebody who was really passionately seeking after that. Like, God, pull the rocks out of my life and Holy Spirit, fill me more and more. And it was so, so, he was so sober about it. He was so passionate about it. And I didn't get it at first, but it started to win me over. Like, I started to realize, like, okay, the way this guy's talking about Jesus I could go home and live that, like what he just taught in this lesson or whatever, basic stuff. You know, we were so young, but I never heard the Bible talked about that way before. I never heard the Lord talked about it. And I started to think like, wow, well, maybe this is the answer to this disconnect that I'd always felt. Like I'm getting a little hopeful and my heart started to thaw and like warm up to, and I look forward more to the content of our meetings and the, and the t- opening the word and, and times of worship and whatever. I'm growing in that, you know, and I don't know exactly, I do not know the date. It wasn't long after he became our leader and we were all kind of gelling as a group and, and learning this new style for our youth group, which was loving Jesus with our whole heart. And I'm in this worship session and now prior to this, you know, I grew up in church. I've done worship sessions and services my whole life. And to me, it's just music. You know, you listen to music on the radio, you listen to music at church. They're all about loving God, loving people. You feel emotions sometimes, you don't. Like, I didn't see a difference, you know? So we're, just, we're, we're in this worship session and I cannot remember the date, but I remember exactly where I was sitting. I remember exactly what we were singing. Like, it's just this moment. And it was like, all the best way I could describe it, it was physiological, like I felt it physically, but it was all of me, like emotionally, my, my mind. It was like honey was just dripping from the top of my head to the bottom. And I felt like that torment that I was always in, it was like calm. Mm. And I felt such peace and I felt such joy. And I felt like, oh my gosh, you know, what is this? <laughs> and I felt like, I have to have this. Like, this is God. I know it. And I'll do whatever I have to. Like, a fire got lit inside of me that day. And I am so grateful because, like, that was like 35 years ago. And I can just name like thousands and thousands of times that the Spirit of God has done that for me. And I need it every time. And I'm so grateful because. I'm nothing without him. Like, he's everything. Uh, He's the one that fills us with everything we need to live life his way, uh, to live life at all, really. Um, You know, that moment really shifted a lot for me in the way I was thinking and the way I was living. And I just really started to dive in more with reading the Word and knowing God myself. And I, uh, man, I was at church all the time. First one there, last one to leave. Like, I was just, give it to me. I just want it all. I want it all full full blast, you know, don't hold back. It was kind of my attitude and my heart. And 
right around this time, though, is the time in life where you're, like, choosing where you're going to go to college. And very important to both my parents, especially my mom, you know, my daughter's going to college. I want my daughter to have options, you know. It's basically her thing. And so it's like, okay, Debbie, where do you want to go? I'll help you tour, you know, the schools. And I'm thinking, I don't care. Like, I don't know what I want to do for vocation. Like, I just, I just want Jesus. Like, I don't know what that means. Like, how do you translate that into something practical? So I was like, I don't know, maybe Bible school. I mean, maybe a Christian college. That's what I was thinking. And so mom took me, you know, we toured Christian colleges and I'm sure there are Christians at Christian colleges, <laughs> but I did not find them. <laughs> I just, in my little tiny tour of my short period of time there, I was like, this doesn't feel any different than like my public school. Like, I get it. It's a college and there's a lot of goals going on. And, you know, it's not just people who deeply love God that are going to be there. But I wanted to be around people that wanted the Lord as much as I did. And I was like dissatisfied, like disheartened, like I don't know what to do. I voiced all this to our pastor. You know, that's how, this is how I feel. He said, well, if that's really what you want. Uh, you might want to consider Bible school because you would get that at Bible school. In fact, my wife and I are taking a day trip near where I went to Bible school, Pennsylvania. We could drop you off. You could tour it. You know, t check it out. So I went. It was a small school, and it was summer. So it was like a ghost town, and it was it was ugly. <laughs> It was like not impressive at all. I go into this class, there's like 10 students, but it's a class on the book of Jeremiah Lamentations, the two books of Jeremiah Lamentations. And the, all these students, they've just got their Bibles open and the professor's talking and they're asking questions. They're just digging into the word. And I felt like, I'm home. Like these are, this is what I need. This is what I want. I, I don't care. Like I wrestled a little bit with how unglamorous it was, but that's how I knew it was God because he really stirred my heart. Like there was nothing glamorous to pull me in. And so I chose to go to Bible school. Now my, my poor parents <laughs> who are practical and want everything to make sense, you know, if you want your child to have lots of options going to a Bible school. The majors were pastoral ministry, kids ministry, music ministry, missions. Like, that's it. Like, talk about limiting. So I go off to this thing, and they were loving and supportive as they could be with something they did not agree with or weren't that wasn't their favorite. I know it was hard for them because they have, you know, everything's got to fit into a box. Um, great four years. I learn, I grow, I learn a lot about my call and the gifts that God's placed in my life and what He wants to do with my life. Uh, very immature, but, you know, who isn't when you're in your early 20s? Now, I'm going to go backwards just a tiny bit because there's one event that happened in college that was huge. Is This is now I'm going back to this issue that I painted before of condemnation, right? So I've got this issue. Just because I'm running with Jesus and I'm like going for it with all my heart didn't mean that problem was solved. Like it was still totally there. By this point, I've been really running hard with the Lord for a couple years. So I'm age 19 at this point. And it's summer, so I'm home. I'm at King of the Nations, and we were doing a, a youth retreat. I'm on this retreat, and this two years that the Lord had to work on me, He um, He was able to expose, like, Deb, you have a problem. Like, this isn't normal. Like, this isn't good. This isn't my heart. You know, you have an issue. Because before, I just thought, this is my personality. Like, there's nothing wrong, you know. But uh, He started to highlight, like, through the Word and through just the Spirit of God speaking to me, like, 
the light bulb was going off. Like I have an, a problem and it's called condemnation. Like it says in Romans 8, there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. But I, that was not the verse I was living. <laughs> you know, that's not what I believe. That wasn't who I was. And and I was realizing like, I, I got to deal with this, but like how? It's who I am. You know, it's all I've ever been. Like, where do I start? That's kind of mentally and emotionally where I was when we went on this retreat. So it's one of those retreat nights and we're worshiping and people are getting lots of ministry. It's really powerful, but I'm kind of feeling numb, like, eh, you know, like everybody else is crying and I'm not. Um, and I thought, come on, you know, I want to like get some breakthrough. I want something to happen. This is a struggle in my life. And so I'm reading, I just cracked my Bible open to Romans 8 because that's the chapter. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And it goes on. So I read that chapter. And, you know, sometimes when you read the Bible and it feels dry, it felt dry. I'm like, okay, now what? <laughs> so um, a gentleman came over to pray for me named Art Hayes, and I'm naming him for a reason. He comes in later. <laughs> but he comes over to pray for me. And he's He was an older, like, we weren't just a youth group anymore. We were young adult. We were all ages because God was moving really powerfully. So he's in his 30s. I'm, I'm younger. I'm 19. But anyway, he was part of our group. And he came over to pray for me. And it was fine. It was a blessing, but I, I really feel anything. So that was it. And he walked away. And I just thought, I'll read Romans 8 again. I don't know what else to do. <laughs> um, and so I'm reading it, and I only got through four verses. And all four verses leapt off. And if you know the Lord, if you've read the Word, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's just these times when He uses His Word to say something really specific to you. And this was probably probably the most powerful in my whole life that, that it impacted. And the reason why it's so powerful was the difference, the night and day difference. Because what He spoke to me is specifically in verse 3, it says, and I'm paraphrasing it, but it says, what the law was powerless to do, God did by sending His Son, Jesus. And what that means is like the Old Testament and the rules and the law, it's not what has the power. Like it's important, but it isn't what has the power. Jesus is the one that has the power. And what the Lord spoke to me is He personalized that verse and He said, what Debbie's powerless to do, God did. Hmm. And He gave me two, He told me two things in that. The first thing was, you've been right, Deb, all along. You don't measure up. You're not good enough, wow. and that's by design. The law's not good enough, and that's by design. You're not good enough, and that's by design. You've been holding these standards over your head that weren't me, that weren't God, that weren't right, and you were believing a lie because of it, and I'm giving you permission, like, you're fine, like, you're okay. <laughs> like, like, you don't measure up, and that's fine, because Jesus does it. When He's the one that paid the price, He's the one that's enough, and He's the one that fills the gap. So you've been condemning yourself for not being something you were never supposed to be. It's Jesus that's enough. It's Jesus. So, okay, so I have this encounter and I'm sobbing. I'm like, oh my gosh, there is no condemnation. Like it's just this crazy encounter. And the torment and the heaviness was totally, instantly gone. <laughs> like totally. I, it was like my whole life had been black and white. Now I had color. Like it was that dramatic and that crazy of a change. And I, for the next couple of days on the retreat, I continued in that like 100% free, just completely. But I went home <laughs> and I went back to normal life and normal relationships and stuff. And I and like, it only took a few weeks for me to like fall back into my pattern 
of thinking and behavior of condemning myself. Um, and, and the enemy, being the opportunist that he always is, he came in and he was like, see, you're not really free. Like, that wasn't real. This is real life. This is the real you. That was just a, an emotional retreat thing that happens to people. It's, it's not real. But what he didn't count on was the freedom that I encountered on that retreat. I was—it created in me a tenacity like, no way. I will move heaven and earth. I will never stop. I, that girl's dead, and I want her gone. Like, I want to be, be the new—I want to be what I've experienced. I want that freedom back, and I will fight until I'm done fighting. Like, I will never stop until I get there. So I just poured myself into the Word and prayer and a lifestyle of worship months, like probably about a year, like a really aggressive attack on this issue in my life. And I had friends, you know, that were like, you're doing it again. You know, you're condemning yourself again. Come on. You know, like I failed probably more than I succeeded, to be honest. Like I had a lot of struggle, but I kept fighting. I'm like, nope, I am not going to be that person. I'm not going to be that person. And finally, I was able to get to a point where it was second nature to me to, to think like the Lord does and stop condemning myself. Now, this is a really important lesson that I learned is that um, when the Lord is breaking a stronghold, what happened to me on that retreat was I was delivered from a demonic power of condemnation. And that's why it was so instantaneous. That's why it was so powerful. It's like when you're vacuuming and, the, and, the, and it gets on plugged and the vacuum stops, <laughs> like the power is gone. Like there was no more power spiritual because that's what the enemy will do with our strongholds. He loves our strongholds. They keep us from connecting as closely with the Lord as we, we could. And so they'll do anything they can to get us to perpetuate that behavior and that thinking and that life. And they fuel it. And we let them when we walk in the sin, when we walk in the pattern. And so that was broken over me. That's what happened. That's what I learned from that. But I still needed to break the pattern of thinking and behavior that I had to just walk out by good old-fashioned spiritual disciplines. And what's really important in, in our lives when God's setting us free is that both are really important. And if you only emphasize one, and some ministries really only emphasize one or only or mostly emphasize one over another, is you, it's a disservice to the body of Christ because we need both. And not, not that we glamorize the deliverance ministry and make it a big thing and sensationalize it. It doesn't need to be. We just fix our eyes on Jesus. And if there's an issue in the way, get it out so you can see him better and run to him better. But anyhow, that that was huge for me. That catapulted me into a whole new time, you know, freedom and life. Uh, so grateful for um, so I'm I am at the end of college. All my friends, uh, co co graduates, you know, they're they're putting their resume together and trying to get a job in a church somewhere in the country. You know, that's what you do when you go to Bible school. And I, even though I had a full time call on my life to do ministry um, with my time, I did not feel good about it. Like I kept praying. I'm like, Ugh, I felt so much pressure. I'm like, you know, well, I need a, some kind of plan. I got to do something. You know, I, I looked into grad school, like nothing had a, I didn't have a piece about any of it. So I came home uh, with no plan for the time being. And my poor parents <laughs> who, you know, were like, okay, you chose this, you know, it limits you, but you chose it. Fine. We let you do that. <laughs> now go do it. Like, why are you here? Like, so they, they like charge, it's, it's legitimate. It's legitimate, especially when you want a plan and for things to make sense. Like the Lord kept revealing a little to me, but not the whole thing. 
And that that's hard. That's hard when you want a full plan and you don't get one. Uh, so I came home. You know, my parents were like, full time, full on rent. You know, if you're going to stay here, you're not going to stay here. You know, we're not going to, you know, you got to figure this out. I don't blame them. I totally get it. That was, pro- that season of life was, uh, I probably like seven years or so, uh, some of the best years of my life. Only in the sense that, because I, I know when I say that, my kids are like, what about us? <laughs> but, <laughs> but they were so great because it was so simple. I was single. I didn't own property. I wasn't married. I wasn't like, in your 20s, you can like not sleep and do anything. It's fun. (laughs) And I did. Like I were, I got a job. The Lord provided something so I could pay the bills and get the rent paid. And that was, that was, that's a whole nother thing. But thank you, Lord, for that. But that wasn't where my heart was. That was just to pay the bills. Um, I was at church all the time. I was just constantly, you know, either attending a thing or pastor was releasing me to teach and lead because, you know, Bible school and all that. So I was just totally poured in to church and my church life and just the Lord. And it was really fun. So that's why I say it was probably one of the best seasons because it really was didn't have a whole lot of problems. Like it was, it was simple, one dimensional and nice, but I would have hated it if life stayed that way. So I'm so glad it didn't. <laughs> so during that time, I I became friends uh, with Art Hayes, the guy that prayed for me on the retreat. And we were doing, we were like leading groups together and we were doing stuff together at the church and we were becoming closer and closer friends. This is like a two, three year period. Like it was long, it wasn't quick that we were, our friendship was growing. And just friends though, I wasn't in love with him or wanting anything romantic, but um, he was. <laughs> and I didn't realize he was in love with me, and I didn't know <laughs> because I thought it was a silly crush because he was so good at just releasing it to the Lord. I thought it, it was just no big deal because he made it, he was so cool about it. Like he didn't put the pressure on me or like guys can do and it drives women away. Like it was easy to be friends with him. I just thought, oh, it's a silly crush. He'll meet some girl and go marry her and he'll forget about me. So we remained friends. And uh, as the years went by and our friendship grew, I, you know, this thought eventually came into my mind, just in my mind. And I was like, you know, it's really kind of too bad that Art's not going to be my husband because we've poured so much into our friendship and we've, we've become a pretty good team and communication, like a lot of stuff couples need. We just kind of develop naturally. And like, I'm going to have to meet some new guy and do that with somebody new, you know, like that was my thought. Like, it's really kind of too bad. Oh, well, you know, <laughs> like I'm not, I wasn't open to it. I, it wasn't my, it, what I wanted. Other people could see it and people were saying stuff. And I was, the, so the pressure of the topic, you know, and Art and I actually talked about it a couple of times. And, and one thing that I brought up, not only did I not want it, but there's an age difference, like 18 and a half years, which is a lot of years. And I don't know. I know there are people out there that are like, I love God so much. I'll marry somebody I don't know. And I'll, I'll marry somebody with a big age difference. But I, I was not one of those people. So I, I was like, I, and I told Art that. I'm like, there's a huge age difference. That's crazy. I don't want that. You know, like, how could that be good? You know, and if he were like, oh, it's not that bad, you know, that would have been great. I would have, that would have given me an out, like, ew, <laughs> like, yes, it is. <laughs> but his answer was so perfect because he goes, well, yeah, 18 and a half is a lot. It would have to be God. <laughs> I was like, shoot, that's a good answer. Like, I can't argue with that. You know, it would have to be God. And God does do crazy things sometimes. So the frustration in my heart was mounting. And so I decided to pray a prayer. And I said, 
Lord, <laughs> I trust you. And if, if he's the guy for me, I will marry him. But I have to want it, and you have to change me to want it. And I want you to change me immediately and dramatically. And if it doesn't happen, a couple weeks go by, I'm the same. I'm throwing in the trash forever. I'll never consider marrying him there. <laughs> and that was my way, to be honest, totally honest. That was my way of drawing a line and daring God to cross it. Like, he won't. I knew that I knew that God would not cross that line. I knew that I just made it impossible for God. That's what and genuinely in my heart of hearts, what I thought and what I felt. I was getting out of this. That was the prayer. That's what I, and I said, okay, I'll make a deal. And I meant it. I'll do it. But you have to do a miracle that I don't think you'll ever do. This is basically how I left it. And then I moved on like with life. Like I didn't, will God answer my prayer? Because of course he wasn't going to. <laughs> so that was kind of my perspective. So I, I'm busy. Like I'm living life. I'm doing stuff. I'm not looking for God to answer it or not answer it, you know. But it took four days. And my heart started to change. And it freaked me out. And I wasn't even in that moment on that day thinking, oh, yeah, I prayed the prayer. Like, I didn't even think, like, I was just going like, what is happening? Like, what? what is going on? This is nuts. Like, what's wrong with me? Am I sick? <laughs> like, like, it was so sudden, because that's what I asked for. <laughs> it was so sudden. I, like, what if I wake up tomorrow and it's gone? Like, it was that, it was such a strange experience. And I was like, what do I do with this? And I was with him that day. And I was like, starting to feel like compelled to say something. And I'm like, what do you say in a situation like this? <laughs> like, what's the right thing to say? So, I said, it's really lame, but I said, you know, take it with a huge grain of salt. I said, but you're getting to me a little bit. <laughs> and that's like the best I could come out with, which again, kind of lame. But um, when I said that, I didn't even know how much turmoil I was in, like the frustration. Like it, it was like the storm was inside of me constantly for a long, for a while, you know, with this topic, specifically with this topic. As soon as I said that, all of that left, and this incredible rush of complete peace just came over me like, boom. And it was freaky, because I'm sitting there one moment going, I'm frustrated, I don't know what the heck was going on, and then like literally to the next moment going, I'm sitting across from the man I'm gonna marry. Mm. <laughs> I was scared out of my mind. <laughs> um, you know, seven-ish months later, I think, we got married. It's, that was 25 years ago. <laughs> we have four kids. 25 years and four kids ago. <laughs> you know, we've, we've been, just been running here at King of the Nations, just pouring out in every way that we can in the ministry and pouring out with our kids and life and, and things. But um, that's about it. Man. <laughs> if you could put in a nutshell, you know, these last, I mean, 25-plus years— <laughs> Walking with sure. God. Yeah. What has that looked like for you? Because you were dealing with different yeah. things. Um, yeah. You, you mentioned, uh, obviously, the uh, the insecurities and not yeah. knowing even what to do after college. Right. Um, what has the Lord done in these yeah, last... that's true. I left a lot out, didn't I? <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, wow. Okay. So as far as what to do after college, like that sort of got solved because I got the finance job and that was paying the bills. So that was great. And then marrying art, I was able to pull that job even back 
part-time. And this that's like a whole story, that whole financing. Because you're a Bible school girl in a place with all these business degree finance people is just crazy. And I became the manager of the team. Wow. <laughs> which is so nuts. Like I like there's all a whole thing. And then I then I went part-time to have kids. And then eventually, uh, like six years later, they laid me off because they had a big round of layoffs. And I was like, give me my clients. I'll start my own business. And they did. It was nuts. So like, like now I'm still doing this job today, but at home for myself, you know, with a pared down group of clients. But it's great. It pays some bills. You know, it's and it, it enabled me to be home with my kids. So as far as like what to do, and I guess for me, like I just want to do what God wants me to do. I don't really care if I'm called something or paid for something. Like I just got on staff at the church a couple years ago part time, but that's that's a first. Like I, everything I've been doing is just because it's what I'm called to do. Like I don't I do it for the Lord. Like I don't care if it looks neat, you know, and it's in its package. And I think that's the other. I I left this out, but with the whole age difference thing, um, because it, it's not normal, <laughs> and. If I were to have a nice little planned practical life, you know, I'd marry somebody my age and we'd have a white picket fence and 2.3 kids and, you know, we'd have a 401k and everything would be nice and cozy. But when the Lord calls us to something, we do need to count the cost. And part of counting the cost for me with this age difference is if there are no guarantees, I don't know what life's bringing, but if I'm going to live really long and die of old age way later, <laughs> um, I'm going to outlive him for sure. I mean, it's just math. So choosing this was choosing to maybe grow old alone. And I don't project and get full of fear or anything, but i that's a difficult thing to face and look at and go, okay, but God is worth it because if that were to be my future, he, like, I'd rather leap off a cliff with the Lord than stay on the solid ground in my little picket fence plan that I think, you know, is, is safe. Because we, we try, we create all this safety for our lives, and we make it, we create it. And there's nothing wrong with planning. I'm a major planner. I love planning. <laughs> but there are times that our planning becomes God. And we're not ready for him to just take us on the journey he wants us to go on. And my journey's been really messy. Like you think if you're called, you would like go out and get a title and get paid or I don't know, like make it make sense. Like it's just like I came back home and I came back to my home church. And I, I it was so much of what I was taught about loving God is just in my DNA. I mean, I think that was part of it was I just love uh, ministering here in the church because it's in my DNA, my DNA's in it. Like, I don't know where one begins and the other ends as far as ministry is concerned and seeking God. And I'm just so grateful for that. So, and that was one of the reasons why Art and I made such a good team because he felt very much the same. Like, where else would we go? You know, kind of a thing. And, and so um, he's, and he's always been so supportive of my call. You know, like if I ever get an opportunity, he always makes sure that I can, you know, and, and enables me to do it. I do, I did have, you asked like, what else happened? Like, I did have a really tough few years when I was first married and we were first having little kids because, man, kids, like, they're the best, but they really put a wrench into your plan, <laughs> like, what, like what you had going on. And so this, all this, like, coming and going and church all the time and lots of activity, like, it really slowed down for me. 
I had a pretty dry season. It was actually seven years long. It was kind of long. I had a pretty dry season where I felt a little disillusioned because the only way I knew to f- pursue God and find Him was constantly going to church. And I was not doing that as much, and I was way pulled back. And from what I used to do, I just like let myself get kind of lethargic and a little bit disillusioned. Like I didn't know how to pursue the Lord outside of that context passionately. Like I was, but you know, I was just letting myself get lost in mommying. Very easy to do. I felt I felt really isolated. I felt really alone. And I had to really wrestle through that and like fight and find the Lord. And it was a whole journey that took a little while, but I had to realize like God is just as powerful here at home as he is anywhere else. And he's he's like waiting for me. You know, it's like up to me. I've got to like see it differently and pursue him differently. So I don't know if I answered all your questions. <laughs> yeah. Now, Debbie, how did your, I'm curious to hear about your relationship with your parents. Mm. Um, how was that relationship affected as you uh, yeah. became closer in relationship with Jesus? Yeah. Um, you know, my poor parents, because the whole art thing was also hard, for specifically the age difference. They want their little girl taken care of. And any parent would. And so it's just like, is this really God? Like, are you sure? You know, and I mean, God bless them because they could have just been like, no, <laughs> we don't agree. You know, but they they really wanted to have open hearts and open minds. But I just kept doing stuff that didn't fit in the box. You know, I just was trying my best to follow God. I, you know, but my relationship with them has stayed good and stayed strong. But the position that I've taken is this is not my life. This is the Lord's life. And the fruit that comes out of it will show itself for what it is. And if if I'm off or wrong or I have bad fruit anywhere, you know, or those rocks that the Lord is still pulling out, then so be it. But if there's beautiful fruit coming from it, the fruit shows itself. And uh, I've just trusted that good fruit will come and it'll be seen. And I haven't tried to defend myself or make a case about it. My relationship with them has has stayed strong. Now, my mom, my mom actually passed away two and a half years ago. Um, she had a terrible disease, and it took you know it took a seven year course that was horrible, and I wouldn't wish it on anybody. And I was able to um, help. That was actually a really nice time, I think, of relational healing for me and her and me and my dad because my dad, I don't think he ever needed me before. You know, and and he really needed help, and I was coming regularly to help, and we had a common goal that wasn't about how I didn't measure up. <laughs> you know, it was something real, and uh, I think that really helped. You know, our relationship. I just um, my 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 dad is a man of accomplishment. Like he has accomplished a lot. He's a, a quite deserving of respect on all that he's accomplished. And I think I think for any kid, when that's your parent. That's hard. I see that in Christian kids, like like pastor's kids, a lot. Like they're super spiritual parent, you know, like I'll never be that. So, you know, like that, like that can be a real struggle, I think, with a lot of people. I mean, it's good. It's it, you know, it's good. We we communicate, we love each other. I still go up and my dad's been alone now for two and a half years, but he's doing really well. Mm. And I go up and visit him regularly and we hang out. And I don't think they understand my world. I don't think they like it completely, but they accepted it because they love me. It's just, that's where it is. <laughs> hmm. Debbie, who is Jesus to you? 
I was hoping you would ask. <laughs> I have a verse. <laughs> um, you know, with, with these testimonies, you ask that question and um, amazing answers are given. And there are so many perfect answers because Jesus is so many things. And um, people say, you know, he's my Savior, he's my Lord, he's my everything. But I was reflecting on my life and just the story. And I'm going to read from Matthew 13. Um, it's just a little, little bit of a parable. This is Jesus talking, and he says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all that he had and bought that field. And that parable is like Jesus is the treasure. And if he, if it, wherever Jesus is, I'll sell everything so that I can have him. Like, I just want him. And so I would say that he's my treasure and he's, he is my reward because I don't need, I don't need it here on earth. Like, like I want to do any, everything. I want to accomplish everything he set me on the earth to accomplish. But, you know, Jesus said, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth hmm. where moth and rust can destroy. Like, set, you know, set your treasures in heaven. Like, look to eternity and look to him. And like, everything that's about Jesus, it will never spoil. It will never fade. And I, th I you know, every time I like pour myself out to love somebody or minister to somebody or help or my kids or my husband or, you know, whatever, even, you know, like Jesus says, a cold cup of water, it can be anything. Like those those things done in love because of Jesus, they last forever. So Jesus is my treasure and my greatest reward. Amen. Debbie, could you pray for those who are watching? Yeah. And... Uh... Are relating to your testimony and maybe they're finding themselves in that position where uh, they still feel insecure yeah and don't know how to really accept the fact that God has called them or God loves them yeah uh, could you pray for them and and also for those who just want a relationship with God yeah who maybe are watching your testimony and are saying you know what I want what she has could you just pray for them as they're watching right now yeah okay oh Jesus Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, you are always enough. And so I just pray, Lord, for each person that's that's hearing me, any point that I've mentioned, any part of my story that I've told that has spoken to them, they can identify with. Oh, Father, I just pray for each one and ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would move in their lives, that you'd move in their hearts. I just want to speak into your life that there's more uh, there's more if, if, like I said, you read chapter one in that book, in the book over and over again, and but there's more. Like, take that leap. There, ask, start asking the Holy Spirit questions. Like, how can I be filled with you? How can I uh, live a full life with you? And I just pray, Father, that you would encourage uh, those that are listening to me who are feeling stuck and frustrated. There is a way out. I just proclaim over you in Jesus' name that there is a way out. You don't need to stay stuck. You don't need to stay frustrated. It's it's such an awful place. You know, the, one of the most frustrating places in the world is to be kind of pursuing God, but pretty much pursuing Him, but not pursuing Him with your whole heart. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, we uh, seek Him and find Him when we seek Him with 
all of our hearts. And I know for my life, I needed somebody, to, an example. So I just pray for you, if you don't have a person, if you don't have an example, if you don't have somebody leading you, find somebody. Find a ministry, find a church, find a leader. Uh, so I pray, Father, that you would uh, help those that are listening to my voice, that you would help them find that example. And that, Lord, you would just stir in them today where there has been potentially like a lack of hope and just frustration, like wanting to give up. I just pray that you would pour in hope and pour in life. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Debbie, any last words for people who are mm. watching your testimony right now? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, some of it I, I, I said in my prayer, um, there is more. Like, if your whole God life connection is lame to you. <laughs> like he's there and he matters, like you grew up in it or you potentially you are saved. Maybe you're not, I don't know, but like you have a little God going on in your history. Or I don't know, but it, you just feel stuck. It's just like not happening. It's just, you're missing it. Please know that was not the design of God. Like that is not the way, like, yeah, God, God, you know, church is boring. God is boring. I understand that. I grew up feeling that way, but that's not God's design. It's because there's something missing in your life and God's totally ready to pour it in. It's just going to take a little bit of effort. Like I said in my prayer, you're going to seek him and find him. We seek him with all of your heart. So seek him with all of your heart. Hey, everybody. I hope the new testimony has blessed you, has encouraged you. Just wanted to let you know that if you are in need of help, that we have people that are ready to speak with you. So down in the description box below, in the comment section, uh, if you're watching from YouTube, if you're listening from our podcast, just look for the link that says, talk to someone who cares. Click on that, fill out the form, and somebody will get in contact with you locally. Now, this is only available to people in the U.S. right now, but we are working to get resources for our international viewers and listeners. But for right now, if you are in the U.S. and you need help, you need to talk with somebody, please fill out that form and somebody will reach out to you. God bless you, and we'll see you on the next testimony.